welcome to episode three of Corks and Crime. I'm Heather. I'm Natalie. Today, we are going to talk about Fred Tokars, mm-hmm. which we're going to get all into it, and we're calling this episode Prison Snitch or Prison Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> we have to give credit where credit is due <laughs> to the prison website that we found. Oh, gosh. Oh, I'll find it in a second, but it's like... It's like prison story, prisonblogs.com or something like that. And they were the ones that named the article that. And I know. Just, I was like, that's perfect. Yes. It's perfect. What? So um, right now we're enjoying some Josh Cabernet um, red wine for, we'll change it up. Um, make sure you check out the Vivino app. It's amazing. Scan the label. Tells you where to get it. Ratings, what to pair it with. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I also love. <laughs> the app is delicious. The red wine is delicious. <laughs> the red wine is delicious. <laughs> the app is innovative. The, the app is great. Um, and Total Wine, my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of talked earlier on our last episode what we're listening to right now. So we wanted to kind of do a throwback to what you definitely need to listen to if you haven't. And that is Dirty John. Mm-hmm. So good. They did a series, a scripted series on Bravo that I thought was really good. And, you know, yeah. kind of followed the... Um, the podcast very well. It did follow the story in the podcast really closely, which I always get frustrated if I watch like a movie or yes. a television show that is based on a book or or a, you know, like true life that kind of like diverts and right. brings up things that are I feel like aren't important. They really stuck really closely to the story. Yeah, I thought they did a great job. And all the actresses in it were great. Yes. I love Connie Britton. Yeah, I think she's, she's so good. So good. Mm-hmm. Um, and the girls with the Valley Girl accents, they were, they were so good, too. It was very on point. <laughs> um, and then you were telling me that Oxygen did an additional show on yeah. it, which I haven't seen. I need to check that out for it's sure. It's not... I didn't watch it. I just kind of saw when I was clicking through, like, looking for an episode. Um, it's not a scripted series like Bravo did. It's a series where they do interviews. They have real pictures. They have... I'll have like, to check it out for sure. Yeah. I, I loved the Dirty John podcast so much. Yes. The people... Did LA Times put it on? Or am I thinking of... I can't remember who did it, actually. But it was... They did a really good it job. It was so good. I... Yeah. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. And then, It's such an interesting story. It's insane. It's and, so crazy. Yeah. And it, like, we're both nurses. At one point, I was like, can we stop mentioning how much, so many times that he's a nurse? <laughs> right. Is he a nurse? Is he an anesthesiologist? Is he a doctor? What is he? He's a CRNA, right? Right. right. He was a CRNA. Which, yeah. I mean, you have to be very smart to be a CRNA. Right. Like, they are, they're very smart. Right. And But he's, like, showing up to staff in his dirty scrubs, not going to work, you know. Right. Well, I think out. that he lost his license. <laughs> right. Acting out. I think he lost his license Prior to meeting, Absol- yeah, I do too. I can't remember the real lady's name. I can't remember. Connie Britton's the person <laughs> Connie Britton plays. <laughs> I don't remember either. And then we also wanted to mention: just do yourself a favor if you haven't watched Abducted in Plain Sight on Netflix. Do it. It's so bizarre. It's and so bizarre. when you're watching it, you're like, this cannot be happening. And then it gets even weirder. We had hours oh. and hours and hours of conversation, <laughs> conversations about this documentary yes. on Netflix. And do yourself an even bigger favor. Yes. And, and listen to True Crime Obsessed. About it. Yes. Their rendition of it. It's the is best. So, and that's so when funny. I discovered TCO, when I was like, okay. 
this documentary is so far out there. There have got to be people talking about it. And that's when I discovered True Crime Obsessed. That's what I did too. It's amazing. It's so funny. Well, you were the one that told me about it, that they talk about it and they're like comedians. And and that's when I listened to them and was crying. I was laughing so hard in my car. (laughs) Yes. They are just so, so funny. And Abducted in Plain Sight is crazy bananas. Right. And just when you think it can't get crazier, it does. A win. Totally does. (laughs) In the middle of it, Jonathan, Jonathan, my husband goes, what are we watching? Yes. My husband, Jeff, had the same reaction. I even had to pause it. I'm like, wait. If you're not paying attention, I am going back and you've got to pay attention to this. I paused at one point and I was like, wait, what? Wait, what did they do? Yes. What did they just say? I had to watch it again. And Jonathan was like, yes, Natalie. <laughs> what you think was just said was absolutely yes. just said. So you'll hate us for it, but you'll love us for it yeah. at the same time. Because you'll know what same. everybody's talking about. You'll have so many conflicted point of views. It's oh. uh, it's good. It, I mean, it came out like in February yeah. is when we watched it up at the cabin, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it been, been out, out for, for like, a while. Yeah, so it's been out for a while. So... I mean, we're not saying anything to spoil it anyway, no. but it's real good. And you won't believe it when you're watching it. Your, your jaw will be open. For yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right. So on to Prison Snitch or Prison Bitch. <laughs> Fred Tokars, um, a very well-known name in Atlanta. This happened in 92. So, Natalie, how old were you? I was born in 92. <laughs> so I was in college. I was graduating high school. That's cool. No, it's totally fine. But um, basically, on November 29th of 1992, Fred Tokars hired a hitman to shoot his wife, Sarah, in front of his two young sons. Ooh. So sad. Makes me so mad. Yeah. Um, he was actually a high-profile attorney in Atlanta. I just watched the episode Dark Knight, White Knight on Oxygen's Abuse of Power series, which is originally named Deadly Power, and the Tokars episode was season one, episode one. Made it a little difficult to find, I gotta tell you, Oxygen, because you changed the name of the show. Mm-hmm. So How'd you end up it. finding it? I found it on iTunes mm-hmm. and watched it on there, because I couldn't find it. I had to pay I paid for it. it. I paid for it. That's cool. <laughs> I mean, that's what, that is how committed to research we I are. I am committed. <laughs> but I knew the story, but I was like, I need to see somebody tell all of it, you know? Yeah. And so I, I bought it, and it was pretty interesting so sarah ambrusco was one of seven girls born in new york city um throughout the episode they interview one of her sisters named Joni. sarah went to college in colorado and then she moved to florida for a teaching job she got married and then moved to atlanta um in atlanta she worked doing promotions and marketing for nightclubs she ended up divorced and single at the age of 30 and she actually saw fred togars on television and he's actually from buffalo and she mm. recognized him and i think it's because one of her sisters had dated one his brother so oh. there was a connection. She yeah. recognized him, and they both were in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So she ended up calling him, and he was an assistant DA at the time, and he asked her out on a date. Mm. So in July 1985, they were married and moved to East Cobb, which is a suburb outside of Atlanta, so not far from us Marietta, at right? all. Yeah, in Marietta. They had two boys named Rick and Mike, and Fred ends up leaving prosecution and went into public practice. He was also a part-time judge in Atlanta. So there was a huge shift in his clientele. He was now working with drug dealers, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing, Mm -hmm. sketchy people. Mm -hmm. And Sarah became concerned regarding these clients, and she realized how actually scary it was when Rick, who was three years old at the time, found a gun um, (gasps) under the seat of the car. Oh, gosh. So she's like, okay, we're into some bad stuff. Right. I'm not comfortable. Yeah. You know, and the kids are are there interviewed during this show, and they they say they don't remember him being around very much. Well, yeah. I mean, the oldest was only six when everything, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course not. Right. 
Um, and Joni, her sister, describes Fred as someone with a huge ego, always turning the conversation to talk oh, about an himself. attorney having a right. big ego? Yeah. What? <laughs> sorry, attorney. Oh, sorry. Like. <laughs> but there's some... Yeah, Just, you're good. There's, there's some good guys. Ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she has concern for the safety of her boys, and she wants a divorce. And Fred dismisses her and refuses to let her divorce him. He doesn't want to ruin the image of his perfect family. Right. Um, she backs down because he threatens that she won't be able to keep the kids. You know, whatever. <sighs> terrible so sad i know and her boys remember heated arguments fighting and her crying because that is and and, but also that's way healthier for them right exactly exactly he becomes very controlling and he puts her on a strict budget and he's mean to her it's just awful so she's convinced he's having an affair the phone would ring when she would answer they would hang up she hires herself a private investigator so during the pi's first lookout in an apartment complex um, he sees tow cars like keep looking out the window mm-hmm. and looking at him. And the next thing he knows, he's approached by an officer asking him what he's doing. So Fred is so interconnected with the police and mm-hmm. the legal community. Like it's just, it's bad. Yeah. You know, so the PI is like, you know, I can't even do my job essentially. Right. You know, so Fred had a safe in their home and somehow Sarah gets the combination, opens it and finds papers showing multiple bank accounts all over including the Bahamas, Ooh, worth hundreds scary. of thousands of dollars. Right. Oh, God. So she shows you her... only have offshore accounts if you're doing something <laughs> right. very something sketchy. Right, something is not... Something doesn't add up here. Exactly. If you can't put it in your Wells Fargo... That's right, it's not on your Bank of America app, <laughs> right? So she shows her PI the papers, and he's like, look, I can't touch these. Like, I don't want anything oh, really? to do with this, because there is something illegal happening. Yeah. So he's not even comfortable, like, helping her with that. So... Oh. Yeah, fast forward to November 29th, 1992. The Tokars have been visiting their family in Florida for Thanksgiving. Fred left the day before to meet with a client in Alabama. So Sarah and the boys drive home. And when they get home, Mike, who's the younger son, is asleep in the car. Sarah and Rick, her six-year-old, go inside and they're confronted with an intruder who has a gun and forces them back into the car. Mm. So he orders Sarah to drive and is giving her directions. And Rick at one point says that the um, gunman tells her to turn. She doesn't turn and he says, are you trying to F with me? And she responds, no, I'm not trying to F with you. And then he shoots her. Point <gasps> blank. Oh my yeah, god! In front of the boys. So terrible. So he got out of the car and took off. Sarah was slumped over the seat and, or over the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. And um, Rick turned the car off and sat there for about 30 seconds. And he was shaking her and lifted her back up saying, wake oh up, wake up. Oh, my gosh. Poor baby. It's so sad. That is so sad. And Mike, the younger one, hears him saying, Mommy, you can't die. <gasps> right. Oh, I just got chills. Oh, yeah. Oof. <laughs> Me too. Rick helps Mike out of the car seat, and they ran toward a house with the lights on. They crawled crawled through bushes and thorns and knocked on the door. And they both said they don't even remember the thorns or any of it, you know. Oh, I'm and, sure. Yeah. You know, and um, for not, survival, you have to like exactly. block that out. I'm sure their adrenaline was crazy. Mm-hmm. So the cops were called, and the boys rode in the back of the cop car. And Mike asked if his mom was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And the cop said she wasn't doing well. And Mike said he then remembers being covered in his own vomit, like he just oh, like got sick. God. I know it's so sad. The boys go and stay with Fred's brother, and Mike remembers thinking, if my dad would have been there, everything would have been okay. Mm, That's really sad. It's so sad. So Fred is notified, and he comes home. Sarah's funeral was the following week, and Fred is seen sobbing, walking behind her casket. Mm -hmm. The boys were not at the funeral because the family felt like they were too young. Oh, totally. Yeah. 
So the cops investigate the house, and it appears to be a burglary gone wrong. So after further investigation, they actually look further at it, and they think it looks staged. Mm-hmm. Things were left that should have been taken if it was a robbery. Mm-hmm. There's jewelry, televisions, you know, whatever. Everything's there that mm-hmm. they didn't take. Yeah. Um, and the house was rummaged through, but the alarm was off. Mm. So they realized this was an execution. It was an execution. Right. That they so, were there just to kill Sarah. Exactly. Yeah. So was this related to his practice? Was somebody trying to get even with him? Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on? So everything is kind of, you know, out there. What's going on? Especially if he's now working with some shifty characters. Exactly. So in a police interview, Fred is speaking about his clients and he says, all of them are scumbags. I think they were probably after me. Mm. Hmm. So then the police get a break. (laughs) Sarah's sister, Chrissy, goes to the police. Um, Sarah had given her copies of the papers she found in the safe three years prior and told her to hang on to them and if anything ever happened to her to turn them into the police. That was so smart. Right. But so sad that, like, you had to live like that, you know? Oh, so sad. And you're married to this person. You live in the same house as this person. With this monster. Yeah. And who is also, like, threatening you and just tormenting you and you can't even do anything about it because if you leave you may not get your kids right exactly so sad so they realized that um, Fred was actually already on the FBI's radar he was being investigated for money laundering through nightclubs in Atlanta oh Mm -hmm. so he would set up accounts for dealers in order to launder money who's this comeback now right (laughs) in the meantime the family had set up a $50,000 reward three weeks after her murder someone came forward saying her brother had killed Sarah Wait, that Sarah's brother? Oh, no, that this, this person that came called. forward. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So his name was Curtis Rower. He was a 23-year-old ex-con with a long criminal history. He admitted he killed Sarah. He said he had been hired by this guy named Eddie Lawrence to mm-hmm. kill Sarah. So Eddie was a con man. He had written bad checks all over the place. He was a client of Tokar's, and they became business partners. Tokar's was financing Eddie's businesses, real estate, home improvement, and accounting. Mm. And it was said that Lawrence actually owed Tokars between seventy five and one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Dang! So obviously Tokars is crap. I mean, here he is like involved in businesses with this dude that's mm-hmm. like completely shady and a, you know whatever. Right, he's your business partner. Right. Yeah. So fast forward to December twenty third, nineteen ninety two. Fred had taken the boys to Florida for Christmas, and the cops announced that they have made arrests in the case, Lawrence and Rover. The family's all together, and they're so confused because Lawrence is Tokar's business partner. Mm-hmm. They ask him about it. He doesn't answer and walks away. Like, you know, what's going on? This is your business partner. What do you know about this? Right. And if this were my business partner, I would have a lot of feelings. Right. Absolutely. Like, oh, my gosh. I can't believe that this happened. I don't know why this happened. You don't just say, well, yeah, I don't really know. Right. I'm going to go hang out downstairs. Right. Yeah, weird. So, the next morning, the Ambrusco family, which is Sarah's family, picks up the boys to go to Bush Gardens, and Fred says he doesn't feel like going. Throughout the day, they can't get a hold of him. He doesn't answer calls. When they get to the hotel, he doesn't answer the door. So, they call the police. Once they get into the hotel room, Fred is found unconscious, and Dr. Ambrusco, who is, I just said doctor, sorry, he's a doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Her dad. <laughs> we got it. Got it. <laughs> Performs CPR. Fred is rushed to the hospital. They find a suicide note. He couldn't go on with what was happening in his life. So basically, his father-in-law saved his life. So even if he really was going to take his own life, you couldn't even admit in that moment right. that you that you were the one responsible for your wife's death. I know. It's bad. Yeah. 
So the cops make a point that Tokars was trying to get sympathy when it actually just brought more attention to him. He ends up holding a press conference a week later, which I saw clips of, tearfully claiming he had made a mistake. He took medications and he had such a fear of losing his lifestyle, which... What? Yes, her family is appalled. What? Losing his lifestyle. (laughs) Your wife is dead. Right. 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 When the mother of your children is dead and your life partner is dead, but your lifestyle? Yeah, they were were disgusted. So Joni, her sister, remembers her dad saying, who knew that the door would be unlocked? Who knew that the alarm would be off? Mm. You know, who knew when she would be getting home? Right. Fred knew. Mm -hmm. He knew. So detectives look closer at his alibi. He spent about 10 minutes with a client in Alabama, and it was not a planned meeting. So he didn't go home because he had to meet with a client. So he just shows up at jail mm-hmm. to meet with this dude in jail, and it was not previously planned. Right. And the guy was like, yeah, he was there for like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Just to give himself an alibi. Mm-hmm. Just to make sure. And he make went sure he so wasn't there. far to be out, not only not out of the house, he was out of the state. Right, Exactly. So they also become aware of multiple life insurance policies he's taken out on Sarah. A $250,000, $500,000, and a million. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the police suspect Tokars, but Lawrence isn't talking yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Exactly. Dot, dot, dot. So July of 1993, Lawrence started talking. He had two prominent defense attorneys, one of which my mom said, oh yeah, that's... <laughs> I was asking her about it because I knew, you know, she followed this case and she's also obsessed with true crime. And I remember that attorney, he's got like this long braid down his back. And mom's like, oh yeah, he's the asshole. It's like, I'm going to quote you in that. <laughs> so he was fearing the death penalty. So he broke his silence. Um, Fred approached Eddie during the summer of 1992 about killing Sarah. Sarah had found out about the businesses and Fred was afraid she would ruin them. Eddie said, why don't you just pay her off? You know, why do you need to have her yeah, killed? You right. Know? And Fred was not on board with that plan. Well, because he's probably the type of person who's not going to give up any money. Right. His, he already was, he was the one making all the money, being this prominent attorney in Atlanta. Right. And he took out life insurance policies against her. Right. You know, like just to get more money. It's right. all about money. Right. So of course he's not going to give her any. No. So Eddie didn't want to be the one to do it. And he found Rower, the gunman, through his secretary. Oh. Nice. Okay. Nice. So Sarah's family was afraid that Fred would kill the boys and then himself, given his previous suicide attempt. So they Mm -hmm. were terrified. Once they find out everything, they know that he's going to be arrested. They're Mm -hmm. so scared that Fred is going to hurt the boys. Mm -hmm. Um, So on August 25th of 1993, Rick remembers the police and the FBI and crying, please don't arrest my dad. Because he's like, I've already lost my mom. Poor Please don't arrest my dad. And Fred was arrested, and Sarah's family took custody of the boys. Mm. Fred was then charged with murder, racketeering, and money laundering. Three years later, he went to trial, mostly circumstantial circumstantial evidence, because there isn't a lot of credibility with Lawrence. I mean, you've got this con man that's the one saying, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, Rower was sentenced to life with no parole. Lawrence is still in jail and will be eligible for parole. When? Ah, uh, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's it's a while. I mean, he's... And then I, I was Googling him, and I think he's gotten in trouble recently because he had, like, a cell phone in jail or some, oh, some, gosh. some crap. Oh, gosh. He's up to no good. <laughs> right. He's making wine in his cell. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. We should talk about... No, we'll talk about Love After Lockup on our next episode. So, <laughs> it's, it's good. Tokars was found guilty of malice murder and received a life sentence. Two jurors, jurors held out about giving him the death penalty. What? Yep. 
maybe because there wasn't enough like physical evidence. I guess, but I mean, I don't know. Still, yeah. And the boys later stated that they were disappointed he was not given the death penalty. And Rick even said he's embarrassed to have the same genes. Poor so they have nothing thing. to do with him, obviously, and right. don't visit him. But an interesting update is to what Tokars has been doing in prison. His shenanigans in prison. Right. So you actually were the one that told me that he um, has been responsible for six different convictions after, since he's been in prison. Um, he, sorry, if you hear that walking around, that's, that's why. It's a very nervous little doggy. Black lab, who if we don't put her in here, we'll scratch. Lay down. Um, okay, so I have information on two different, uh, murderers that he has put away since he's been in prison himself. Um, so, Tokars, when he was in uh, a penitentiary in Florence, Colorado, met Dustin Lee Honkin. Um, he was on, so he was a large-scale methamphetamine manufacturer, which sounds like Tokar's type of piece. Right, those are his people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he was actually, so they met and were talking, and Hoken was like, oh, I want to get to know this guy because he's a former, um, he's a former lawyer. He can help me appeal my case. So he was insistent that Tokar's helped him. Um, and Hoken apparently was impressed that Tokars killed his wife because his wife was a potential witness. So he was, like, impressed by that. Trash, people. Gross. Um, so during more than 100 conversations that Tokars and Hoken had together, um, Hoken bragged to him about um, beating an earlier meth distribute distribution case by eliminating his witness. During those conversations, Tokars later testified, Hoken spelled out the details of the murder, even describing his victim's shallow graves. So the Hoken killed two separate people, but one of um, the distributors was actually with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's two young children. Mm. So he killed all four of them. Wow. Yeah. Um, because he thought that they would be potential witnesses against him. So Tokars... Um, testifies in this guy's trial against for the four murders and uh he gets sentenced to death row and actually i just read this three days ago um dustin lee hoken uh was is scheduled for execution january 15th 2020 oh wow yeah yeah um so the second case that Tokars helped with was in 1989. He was transferred to a prison in Wisconsin, and he met Robert Ortloff, who was convicted convicted of a mail bombing and had been long suspected of a 1984 murder. Ortloff knew Tokars' past and urged him to help him appeal the bombing case. Ortloff claimed he was convicted in the bombing case because authorities couldn't get him on the murder. Okay. Uh, Tokar said that he discovered that Ortloff lied to him several times and demanded him to be honest with him. Uh, then Tokar said Ortloff admitted he had killed the woman. I guess some woman in 1984. The article uh, that I read didn't didn't like go into the murder, um, but he had murdered somebody in 1984 and then put a bomb in a mailbox wow. after. And that was what he was already in jail for. Tokar meets him. And then um, confesses that he murdered this lady. Which, why are you going to talk about your stuff to an attorney? 
Right. Like, you know? I right. Mean, I don't know. I, I don't understand prison. Obviously. I don't. I, I guess they're just so bored that they're just yeah. going to talk about anything. And maybe since Tokars was at one point a, an attorney, he has like that, like that just air about him right. that people want to talk to him about things right. and like. And it sounds too like Tokars was like, okay, well, I'll help you with this conviction, but you need to be honest with me about your 1984 right. murder. Exactly. And then. And I might be wearing a wire. I don't know. Right. I'm not really quite <laughs> sure. And I might testify against you. Right. Um, so Tokars' best friend, like, I read an article that basically um, he is living in a prison that's undisclosed. Right. They, we don't know where he is because mm-hmm. he keeps like. Snitching mm-hmm. and getting snitches people... get stitches. Right, that's right. So we don't know where he is. His name has been expunged from the database. Yeah, he is not listed in the Bureau of Prisons roster. And of he's prisoners. part of the witness protection program, mm-hmm. but he's in prison. Mm-hmm. I think he's just living in some kind of solitary confinement that is not solitary confinement where you have like a teeny tiny window and right. only get one hour of sunlight. Like I think he's like living in like the penthouse of Oh, I'm sure he's negotiated some stuff to be like, hey, I'll give you, I can get however many people convicted or Mm -hmm. whatever. Right. I'm sure he's making deals. And, you know, I read an article that he's basically, you know, he's doing this so that the boys can see that he can still do something good. But sorry, I mean, they still don't want anything to do with you. Yeah. Well, even if they did, could they even ever find him? Maybe they could. Maybe they could. I'm sure they don't want to. Right. But, and, and that's such a, that's such. That's not true. That's such a pile of shit. Because he's just doing that to get better accommodations for himself. Right, for himself. Yeah, right. he's not doing that for and those protect kids. himself. Yeah, and I read an article too. I don't remember which one it was, but it's. He said that he's been reaching out to the boys and he wants to be a part of their lives. And the boys were like, we've never gotten a letter from him. No. Ever. Well, and the boys are very complimentary of all of their aunts and how their grandfather stepped in and became Mm -hmm. like their father figure. And they are so sweet about, you know, talking about them. And it's just good that she has such a great family. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What a jerk. And I remember, I mean, Natalie, you were, you know... Infant, <laughs> but I mean, I remember it was huge, and it was it got nationwide coverage. I mean, once again in '92, we didn't have social media and the internet and all of those things, but mm-hmm. it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. This was a big deal, yeah. And especially before they figured out it was him. Well, and especially somebody that in Atlanta back then, Atlanta was a smaller city, right? Um, and somebody that they probably knew in the community, right? To have something like. So so big happened. Right. It was a big deal. Yeah, big, big deal. But I'm glad that he's in jail, although he's, you know, sounds like he's living his best jail life. Right. Yeah. He's really got it worked out. Right. All right. Thanks for listening to episode three. Stay tuned. Come back and see us. Check us out on social media at Corks and Crime Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and email corksandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. And let us know what you want to hear. Come back. See you next time. Bye. Bye.